Walk us through these five different funds that you've launched. It's a big package of funds, but they don't necessarily all do the same thing. It seems like you've got bond exposure, you've got equity exposure. So walk me through the way you're thinking about these. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you know, we're launching five different products uh, from four different investment teams in three different continents. And the reason is that we see a big gap today in the number of tools that are available to advisors who want to um, take sustainable investing um, and, and really deploy it across their entire portfolio. Um, and so we're trying to highlight really the strength of the firm. Uh, we just reached our 30 year track record of our flagship global sustainable equity strategy. Uh, we've been doing this for a very long time, but we haven't really had a full suite of products available uh, to our clients in the US at any rate um, to access them. And so we're trying to really um, fill as many of the holes that we see in the product lineup today, um, obvious gaps in fixed income, and then uh, some really interesting thematic opportunities that exist um, around the transition to net zero. Um, and so we're just really trying to cover off as many bases as, as we can to help people build a, a kind of well-rounded portfolio uh, in the sustainable space, similar to the way they would um, with any other portfolio. Now these are active funds, so not tied to an index. These are gonna be actively managed. Uh, can you give me an idea, at least to maybe starting with the equity ETFs in particular, what that process will look like? How often uh, will holdings be changing? Uh, how active is this active managed portfolio? Yeah, um, I think that's a really, really key thing in, in the sustainable space and in ESG products in general. We've seen sort of a proliferation of product offerings, particularly in the ETF wrapper, um, that really use one approach to ESG, and that's sort of third-party negative screening. And from our point of view, that is kind of the bare minimum first step when you're delivering sustainable products. Our objective is to kind of meet the nexus between sustainable investing and robust long-term returns. Um, and, and to do that requires really many more layers of active engagement uh, beyond that first negative screening process. So uh, for our equity funds, we're, we're typically looking at 30 to 50 portfolios, or sorry, 30 to 50 companies. Uh, each portfolio is, is unique, obviously, and has its own nuances, but, but our teams are really um, long-term investors uh, and we do believe that selecting companies that have good sustainable characteristics will, will lead to long-term returns. But of course, investors care about the short and the medium term as well. And so we're really actively engaged in managing those risks, looking for those opportunities, just because a company has you know, excellent sort of negative screening qualities, uh, doesn't necessarily make it a good investment from a fundamental standpoint. Uh, I, I think this is really highlighted if you look at the, the range of passive products out there in the ESG space, and they sort of overwhelmingly own very, very similar companies, right? They, they look a lot like just a tech fund. And, and that's because those companies screen really well, um, but they're not necessarily uh, giving you a diversified portfolio. Uh, and, and certainly we own you know, a fair amount of tech names as well because they can be important agents for change, uh, but there's many other opportunities as well. And so we're gonna look at sort of moderately sized portfolios, high conviction, uh, uh, process, you know, like I said, 30 to 50 names typically uh, on the equity side. And, and then we're going to adjust that portfolio uh, as we see uh, the, the, the kind of markets changing and those opportunities changing. Um, so not super high turnover strategies, but, but certainly pretty active engagement.
Okay, so just to explain that uh, screening criteria, because uh, if folks are thinking about sustainability and renewable uh, you know, energy exposure, this is not necessarily the way to do it. I mean, this is using a screening process that nets out the top 10 holdings is basically pretty close to the top tech companies by market cap in, in the index. So explain me that screening process again, because I think a lot of folks, when they see that title, they're not going to picture this as the top holdings list. Yeah, right. So so what we're doing, let, let, let's take a specific example, right? Our U.S. sustainable equity strategy. We're taking the universe of, of U.S. stocks. And the first step, I think, is sort of that bare minimum. And this is where passive strategies kind of begin and end, which is to screen out for certain negative criteria. So, for example, not owning companies involved in alcohol production, um, you know, gambling, these sorts of sort of negative industries. So we, we start there. Um, uh, but then from that process, that sort of just gives us our universe and we're, we're engaged in a much much more detailed process uh from there and so really it's around that fundamental bottom-up analysis selecting companies from that universe once we've excluded uh negative industries that we believe have the right balance and the right intersection as i said of really strong sustainable characteristics but also really strong fundamentals Okay, and now uh, when I look at some of the holdings in the net zero emissions fund, there's a little bit more of kind of a materials exposure, uh, is some energy in the top holdings. So uh, that process for the net zero emissions fund is more specifically designed to capture the, the resources sector. Um, is there any tech in here? That must be a big difference in screening criteria to get such a different weighting of those businesses up top. Yeah, J0 is really a unique product, right? And, and what it's trying to do is say, there is an enormous investment opportunity um, over the kind of next 30 to 50 years as countries around the world commit to a net zero transition. And so if you're gonna transition to net zero and you're gonna remove fossil fuels uh, from the process, unless you wanna go back to the stone age, th th those need to be replaced with something else. And so there is very significant opportunity in the natural resources space in particular, which is where this fund is focused, um, to invest in companies that not only facilitate the transition to net zero, uh, but also uh, are positioned to benefit from it. And so there's all kinds of really incredible long-term investment opportunities, we believe, uh, in, in this uh, opportunity set where you know companies and, or, and countries around the world are making really significant commitments, not only in terms of regulation, but also financial investment, um, obvious things like wind and solar uh, that, that need to come online. And then there's the resources to supply them, right? So copper, um, but then you can get a little further afield. Uh, you know, if you look at, for example, uh, meat consumption is one of the major contributors to carbon dioxide and methane emissions. Uh, and there's really interesting companies doing things to try to reduce the methane emissions from cattle production. Uh, there, there's a wide range of unique opportunities that exist. And this fund is really looking to capitalize on, on those opportunities within the natural resources space. You've got companies like uh, Archer Daniels Midland uh, up there, Air Products and Chemicals, Freeport, the miner, uh, Mosaic is in there, Alcoa, Next Energy in the top list as well. So very different set of companies uh, from the first fund we talked about. Nick, generally speaking, 
as far as regulation goes in the ETF space, the SEC over the last several months has been getting more particular about how funds define their connection to sustainability and ECG. We've seen a couple specific examples as uh, the regulator has started to want clear definitions. I'm curious if you built these products with any of that messaging in mind from regulators or how you build a sustainable product that makes sure it's going to pass whatever uh, inquiry or specifications will come for this thematic type of uh, product. Yeah, I think the regulators are rightly focused on the space. Um, and, and we take the same approach here that we do in any of our products, which is that we want to have really clear communication with our investors, whether it's through our offering documents, our sales practices, or, or, or any other kind of means of communication, where it is very um, uh, explicit and clear what the objectives of the fund are, what we're trying to accomplish, and, and how we're doing that. And these are really no different, right? So I think that uh, regulators are rightly concerned about um, potential for greenwashing, and I think we're, we're really positioned to, to, to benefit from that because we have a fundamental investment process that you know doesn't, again, rely just on simple negative screens and then slap a label on it, but really has a, a deeply engaged process uh, across all five of these, these funds to really think carefully about what we own and why we own it. Um, so, you know, I think that, like I said, that there's more regulatory scrutiny, and that's a function of the, the amount of flows, right? If you look over the last 12 months globally, we've seen about 170 billion uh, flow into various sustainable ETFs uh, across the globe. So there, there's a very significant shift in investor interest, and, and the SEC rightly wants to ensure that as investors are moving into the space, um, product providers are, are sort of doing the right thing. Um, so so it, it informs our process in, in the same way that that it would for any other product, which is, which is really just about clear communication with our investors.